Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Annie. And And this this is Charitable Theology. Okay, so I have a question for you. I think I'm ready. How's your, like, relaunch, rebrand of Happy Hippie Threads going? (gasps) Oh! It's good. It's good. Yeah, so one night I just decided to stay up really late and I deleted all of my posts and I just decided I wanted to be more consistent with like my content and it tell people what it is. Oh yeah, I'm just acting like everyone knows me and like <laughs> knows my life. So Happy Hippie Threads is my crochet Instagram and Slash business. Slash business, soon to be, hopefully. But I keep putting off just making product. But I've also, I've had some, I had somebody request me to make them a blanket, like one of those fancy, super thick wool blankets. Mm. And I'm ordering the yarn from Europe, so it's taking a while to get in. And I'm super excited and waiting by the door every day. European (laughs) blankets. So, anyways, it's my crochet business. And, um... So I have an Instagram for it. That's my platform because I'm a huge grammar. It's all we care about. Yeah. As far yeah. as social media goes. Yeah. I mean, I don't care about social media at all, but as far as social media goes, Instagram's all there is for me. Yes. It's the I'm, number one in my heart. I love the grams. Love the grammar. And I do appreciate good grammar too. You know this so. because we each have multiple Instagram accounts. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. It's terrible. I think about deleting my other ones and just keeping like my happy happy threads and my personal but, but then I we love, also have this one yeah, yes yes and then we have this one together and it's just like oh my goodness it's, it's excessive yeah but yeah. oh my gosh it's going good so i just i wanted like my pictures and you know the ads on them were kind of inconsistent and i just decided i wanted to you know use all of the same preset so i wanted all of my photos to have the same preset so it just was more consistent and i feel like aesthetically pleasing so i went through and i edited all of my same photos. exact preset or you're just the same preset family same preset okay so on all of them so they all and i think you know they're gonna look a little bit different because of the lighting of like yeah. where the picture was taken but overall you know they all just look similar and i think it's a lot more aesthetically pleasing but also just my big thing is and i said this when i like relaunched and started reposting my new um edits was just like i really i don't want it to be something like oh here look at me this is uh something great that i've done but i I really love being a part of this, you know, it's called like the maker community Mm -hmm. and I really want to inspire people. Like I want people to see something and be inspired to, you know, then create themselves or do that. I don't want it to just be like, oh, look at me, all this glory. Like, (laughs) Uh, so I just, yeah, I, I restarted and it feels good and it's inspiring me to get my life together and make more stuff and yeah, I so, love that. Thank you. That was such a sweet, so thoughtful of you to ask. Oh, well, you know, I was genuinely curious. I When I saw you post it, I was like, this is so cool. I think this is a really interesting idea. And I love, I mean, I love your photography. I love your eye for composition and stuff. It's so sweet of you to say that because I think I'm a terrible photographer. I nitpick no, my pictures that and one stuff. picture you have of you in like that ba- black ballerina tutu bending over that you posted on your book, bookstagram. Oh, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Is it maybe like not a, a ballerina tutu? I just think of it no, that way in it, my head. Yeah. It looked very dancery. It's like yeah, backless. It's like, and my head is like down and yeah. I, yeah. That's like my, I, I, when I think of 
like Annie art. That's what I think of, like, because it's so beautiful. Thank you. I do like that. That's like the one photo I really like. I like all of your pictures. You have, I mean, I just think that you have a really good eye for composition. And well, I think that you're just creative all around, but that is something I think you're really good at. And we have really different eyes for composition. And I really enjoy that. Like, I'm not a photographer by any stretch of the imagination. But like, I do like to look for interesting angles to take pictures from and stuff like that. And um, I just... I love to see different people's perspective on like what they're going to see in like something that's happening in real life. Like the thing that they're going to choose to focus on. I think it's interesting. And I think that your perspective is really interesting. Thanks friend. Oh, I love you. You're making me feel some type of way. (laughs) Well, I mean, now let's get serious. Let's talk about some things like purity culture and porn. Yay. Things that I love talking about. (laughs) From, from crocheting and photo composition to purity culture. Woo! So you grew up in the church. You grew up in a, a conservative portion of the church. I'm interested to hear what your encounter with purity culture was. Say, so, well, and also, can we explain purity culture? Because I'm just assuming everybody knows what that is. Yeah, let's explain it. Yeah, go for it. Oh, uh, should I explain it? I think you're better explaining things. Oh, I don't. So purity culture. I think how at least we're using it in this sense is the idea that, at very least, in the American church, which is what our experience. We have experience with the American church. We don't have extensive experience outside of the American church. But at least in the American church, I think predominantly maybe even in like the 80s and 90s, there was this big push towards purity culture where you had accountability partners and you had promise rings and you worth the weight was a big thing. Like I know there were like stickers that said worth the weight. And like this is like a culture surrounding, oh, I kiss dating goodbye. That was kind of like the the... Did you hear he's divorced? And not a Christian. He says he's not a Christian. I didn't say he's not a Christian. Oh. I didn't even know that. Yeah. And I'm not relishing in that. But he, yeah, it was a whole thing. I mean, he had renounced I Kissed Dating Goodbye a long time ago, but it's just been downhill from there. But anyways. I I didn't know he said he's not a Christian Yeah. It's sad. And so it is, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, in case you didn't know, guys, was a book written in like maybe the (laughs) mid to late 90s by like, a 20 year old who just, who just, yeah, he so. was young and he was like, basically people just decided that they were going to revere this guy as the authority on how to pick a mate, I guess. But so it brought in courtship and all of these other things and not, not, I don't think any of these things are inherently bad, but I do think that kind of this purity culture got a little weird and sticky and deceptive and has been an interesting thing to watch um, people who grew up in that deconstruct now. So I am interested to hear what your encounter with the purity culture in the church was. Yeah. So yeah, I was raised Christian, grew up in a Christian home. It was this, you know, it's a very big thing. Like you wait till you're ma- married and, you know, just constantly shoving that in our faces and, I feel it was like very unhealthy. I I don't I don't know. I think it's something I definitely struggled with a lot. Just this whole, you know, you wait till you're married and, you know, purity rings and all of these things, you know, basically just saying I think the the biggest thing I struggled with was that we were being told not to wait, but we weren't being told why. There was no like not to wait or not to have sex. Not to have. So we're being told, sorry. Being, being told like, to wait. That is an interesting message. <laughs> yeah. So the thing I struggled with with purity culture is, you know, pushing people to wait, wait till you're married, wait, 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 but not opening, not opening the Bibles, not providing scripture, not saying 
why you wait till you're married. And, you know, maybe there was a little input on that, but it wasn't something prominent. It wasn't something that it was taught in such a way where I understood it and Mm -hmm. I recognized the importance of it. So that was a big thing for me. And it wasn't taught well in any of the churches I grew up in. Maybe the last church when I got into high school is, I think, better a little bit maybe, mm. but I'm not so confident in that. So that should probably tell you all that it wasn't that great either. Uh, and then, yeah, so not, you know, the purity culture was not good and not a good experience for me. And, and then I also think just personally in my home, my parents didn't do the greatest job of talking about it. And that's not to diss on my mother. I love her. She's one of my very best friends. And we just I adore her we've had the best conversations but I don't remember having you know a really good conversation about that with her until I was you know much older and I'm appreciative of those I'm appreciative of those conversations we've had you know maybe after me becoming a Christian and you know my young adult life had excellent amazing conversations and just stuff that she shared with me and encouraged me and in that area of my life but growing up like it wasn't so great there was things I didn't know about I mean I found out what sex was like I'm being told not to have sex but I I wasn't even told like what it was and Mm -hmm. I think that had a lot to do with my childhood and things that went on in my home and things that had happened to me that I wasn't being told what it was Mm -hmm. um which is a story for another time but so yeah I was being told not to have sex but not even knowing what it was. And I found out from my friends when I was like 13. Mm-hmm. And how can you how can you be telling kids not to have sex, but you're not having a conversation of like what it even is and, and giving them reasons as to why they should wait? I mean, I literally remember the Juno movie was a big thing. And, you know, in my like Christian church, it was like, well, it's kind of pro-life because she doesn't end up having an abortion, but that is not what they intended it's at all kind with of that pro-life. Movie. Christians will do that, man. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so I just remember, like, I think it was either before or after we saw the movie, and my dad was just like, they, like, just got my period. I just remember my dad being like, okay, you can get pregnant now, like, don't have sex. Like, mm. and that was pretty much the extent of the sex talk with my dad. And just not, I just think that is so messed up to be that, for that to be the approach or the motivation to not have sex. And his, his thing also, not necessarily, this wasn't necessarily the same conversation, but just like, oh, I'm the protector. It's my job to make sure you don't have sex before marriage. And, you know, God gave this to me as my responsibility. So I'm going to hover over you and, and control you and make sure, you know, that you don't have sex. And I think that my dad was, you know, my, he was, you know, my dad. And I do think that God gave him a responsibility to love me and protect me, but he didn't follow through on that in any other areas. So I don't think that his sex talk was very valid, right. uh, considering, you know, just different stuff that went on in my home and with my relationship with my dad. And so that's a, yeah. that's my rant on it. That's your, that's your encounter with purity culture. Yeah. yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. I, for me, it was different, right? Because I didn't grow up really in the church. Hardly at all. And I didn't grow up in a context where sex was a thing that you waited for marriage. I didn't grow up around that. Uh, Most of my family 
<laughs> the joke in my family is that if you had a baby before you were married, you're probably going to stay married. Like that's how my, my parents stayed married. And I did the math when I was nine or 10 and realized that I was my parents wedding anniversary anniversaries in January. And I was born in June of the same year. And I just did the math and I was like, guys, that's six months. And they're like, yeah. And we were like, I, I, I just sat there and I was like, was I a preemie? <laughs> and I just remember them laughing and going, nope. And they were, I mean, there was no shame around it. There was no weirdness. It was like, yeah, of course you were conceived, you know, out of wedlock, which I don't think is a thing people say anymore. But even as like a non-Christian, you felt that weird or different that they would have had you out of wedlock? I didn't think it was weird or different. It was just something that I'd figured out. Like, mm -hmm. I think I just assumed that they were married when yeah. all that stuff was going down. And so when I was old enough to figure out, you know, like the human gestational period and <laughs> and then my parents' wedding anniversary is six months from my birthday. And it wasn't like this life shattering moment or anything for me, but it just wasn't it wasn't weird in my family that people had sex before they got married. I know like, you know, it was it wasn't ever hidden from us. Like my one of my closest aunts and uncles had their first like got they got married because they were pregnant with their first. And that, that was that's that was known my whole life. And it wasn't weird. And there was no shame around it. And so sex before marriage was kind of a foregone conclusion. Nobody waits till they're married. Like who does that? It's not a thing anymore. Honestly, I really didn't know anybody did that until I've mentioned her before on this podcast. And I sound like her stalker. But uh, my brother's friend, Kristen. Came, she was like 21 and I've said before like she was just the freaking coolest human being in the whole world and I just really looked up to her she's probably six years older than me and I just heard her because I was eavesdropping on my brother's conversation say something about yeah I'm trying out this abstinence thing and I knew that she was a Christian and it was the first time it occurred to me that there were people who believed that God said that we weren't supposed to have sex before we were married and then they were going to try and be obedient to that. And I don't, you know, I don't know how that panned out for her, but um, she did have this really interesting, like God works in such crazy ways. Cause she had this really deep impact on my Christian life. She's the one who told me about where my, uh, she's the one who told me about my home church in California. I think it's because she was only the only cool Christian I knew <laughs> who like talked about being a Christian. And I didn't know her that well. She was just a friend of my brother's that I really liked and looked up to because she was beautiful. If we're being honest, like that was why I just thought she was so beautiful and I wanted to be like her when I grew up. And so that was my first, I mean, I must have been 15 or 16. And it was the first time it ever occurred to me that there were people who didn't have sex. Before, until they were married. And that's not what she was saying. But it was just like this weird click that happened for me. And all of my friends had lost their virginity by this point. I mean, you lose your virginity sometime in high school. It's, again, a foregone conclusion. It was very discipled by culture. And nobody waits until they're married. And nobody. And so, and so, I mean, that's the path that I started taking um, until I really learned about and decided to follow Christ in my early 20s after my mom died. It was just, this is what made sense to me. And my parents had no expectation. I mean, like, I'm sure they didn't want me, like, out being unsafe or, you know, I, it's not that there weren't, I, they, these were not, my parents were not the parents that, like, you came home and you were 15 and you brought a case of beer and slept with a guy in your room. Like, that, those were not my parents. There were expectations and we were respectful of them as the adults in our homes, but they didn't, like, have this expectation that we weren't going to have sex. <laughs> and there was no, like, we went to parties where there were, dudes and you know i mean it just i mean that's just we it was very loosey-goosey my parents were just like kind of live your life kind of parents and so 
I, it didn't occur to me <laughs> until after, honestly, until after it was too late that, that this was even a thing. So before you had sex, did they have a sex talk with you or anything? Was it, or anything like that? I mean, I mean, the new school did it. Public schools have sex education and I grew up in California, which is very liberal. And so that starts early. That starts fourth, fifth grade. And so I, I think they just knew that I knew what it was. And, like, my mom did not have real parents. Like, she was a way more attentive parent than her parents were. <laughs> they were alcoholics and they were abusive and they had nine kids. And so I don't think my mom knew to have the sex talk with me, right? Like, I don't think that that was a thing that, like, because she, she for sure did not have a sex talk. <laughs> like, maybe by the nuns in her school, but other than that, like, she for sure was not, like, parented in that way. So I just, I just, it's not like a uh, a statement against her. I just think she didn't know. And then I remember one time her saying something about, like, hormones in the car when I was, like, 14, and me being like, mom, just don't. <laughs> and then she just didn't. And so, yeah, there wasn't like a sex talk. I knew what sex was because of school and because of movies and because of my brothers. And, um, not, I mean, like that sounded weird. I mean, just in the fact that like my brothers will absolutely openly and freely talk about sex in front of me, but not like in a weird, bad way, not inappropriately, just in like the way that you would do with a dude friend. Like I very much my whole life been one of the guys. I've been one of the dude friends forever. And so like that's how people. That's how they thought of me. That's how their friends thought of me. So I knew what sex was kind of from that perspective. But I didn't learn any of that stuff from my parents. <laughs> and so, yeah, I just, I didn't have any concept of purity culture. I did. I thought it was archaic and I thought that it was something that didn't actually exist <laughs> until until my 20s when, when God really opened up my eyes and helped me to be obedient because you know, I already said like, oh, it was too late. But the truth is, is that there's always time for repentance. There's always time for redemption. Like, but I just, and then I started to understand what purity culture was within the church and how kooky it was. As someone who grew up not in that culture at all and then seeing it, it was like this weird thing where it was like, sex is dirty, sex is bad, sex is wrong. Until you get married, then have all the sex. And it's like, how do you expect people to make that switch. No, sex isn't what culture says it is, right? Sex isn't the be-all, end-all. Sex doesn't make you powerful. Sex doesn't fulfill every need you have. Sex isn't this insatiable thing that if you don't get it, your world falls apart. That's not what sex is. But sex also isn't dirty, bad, wrong, ew. Like, and if you tell people that, if you tell kids that, if you tell um, developing teenagers that, and then they and they buy into it, then marriage gets very difficult and complicated for them, right? And so that's weird and gross. But there's also like, you know, I've heard illustrations that have been, I'm like, oh boy, like one of my greatest introductions to theology is Matt Chandler. He is kind of the way that I've, he was my introduction to Tim Keller and John Piper. And he was kind of how I found all of my favorite theologians. And he has this very, like, it's probably his most famous, like, soundbite or whatever on YouTube. And it's the Rose story. And it's actually not even the point. The Rose story isn't even the point of the um, sermon that he was telling. He was telling the sermon on, like, loving the local church. But he was, this is a clip that got very popular, that um, he tells the story of taking this young woman who was in an adulterous relationship, who had already had a child, who was not married. 
She was not married, not her small child. And he had made this friend in college and he he was like trying to, you know, witness to her and, and be friends with her. And and so he invited her, kind of like tricking her into coming to see this. Like, I think it was like a worship event, right? I think he called it a concert to get her to go. And it turned out it was a worship event. And he took her and he went and the sermon, the message was basically this old school preacher standing on stage holding a real live rose. And he says, look at this rose. Look at how beautiful and perfect it is. Look at how untainted this rose is, right? And then he throws the rose out into the audience and the audience passes it around and he goes on with his message and talking about purity and God's design for sex. Theoretically, I don't really know what he talked about. I wasn't there. But and then he says at the end of his message, he says, "Okay, so where's my rose? Everybody's been passing around. Where is it? Where's my rose? And he gets the rose back. Right. And it's wilted and it's gross and it's damaged. And he holds the rose up and he says, now, who would want this rose? And this is where Matt Chandler says the thing that made the clip very popular. He says, Jesus, Jesus wants the rose. That's the point. That's the point of all of it is that Jesus wants that rose, that rose that's been passed around, that rose that has been abused, that rose that has been torn apart by people taking advantage of it. Who wants the rose? Jesus wants the rose. Who cares what the rose did? Jesus wants it. And purity culture says, who wants the rose? And I think what Christ says is, I, 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 yes, I want I want you to live within what my design for sex is, which happens to be within the parameters of marriage so that you don't get hurt. But if you have not come back to me, I still love you. I still want you. You are not broken, damaged goods. Let me heal that in your heart. I think uh, purity culture steered wrong when it said, just stay pure. Like you were saying, there wasn't a lot of why. Just stay pure. Just stay pure. But then also you have to offer, you don't, you don't say, and I expect you to mess up and come back to Jesus. You say, if, if this is already a reality in your life, that you have made this choice, then he's there, open arms, waiting to love you and receive you and welcome you back, right? Like, and, and then, and then to give people a picture of the why. What was marriage created for? Marriage was created to glorify God. Set, God keeping sex within marriage was not a boundary created to keep you from joy. It was a boundary created to have you experience the most joy, the way that God created sex. Because sex outside of marriage creates complications and insecurities and, and bonds that shouldn't be there. Sex outside of marriage is this thing that says, I'm going to take from you. Within marriage, it's this act of ultimate giving and intimacy outside of marriage it is one party saying to the other i'm going to take from you without the responsibility i don't want the responsibility of your insecurities i don't want the responsibility of your deepest fears i don't want the responsibility of the things that you do wrong in your life or your sin i don't want that responsibility i won't take that responsibility i'm just going to take the most intimate part of you and leave all of those things that i don't want responsibility for i think i stole that from tim keller none of my thoughts are original just so everybody knows that i'm going to try and cite them as i know but just know that I'm not trying to like plagiarize anyone, but it's just this idea that God isn't, isn't trying to keep something from you by, by saying sex is for within marriage. He's not trying to keep something good from you. He's saying, and I don't know if I've used this illustration on here yet, but I use it all the time. So get ready. But it's this idea that it is not unloving for a parent to tell a child, no, don't run in the street. That the parent isn't saying to that child, I don't want you to experience the joy of running in the street, right? The parent is telling the child, I see the truck coming. You don't. 
I see the truck that's coming to destroy you. You don't see that truck coming. And God is not saying, don't experience the joy of sex outside of marriage. I don't want you to have the joy and that freedom. God is saying, there's a truck coming and you don't see it. I am the creator of the universe. I see what sin does. All sin leads to death. I see that the truck is coming. And I don't want you to have to experience the truck hitting you because it sucks and it's painful and it hurts. Don't do it. I've created it within a certain good and right boundary. And he's not withholding from us by saying, don't enjoy it out of here. He's saying, if you try and enjoy it out of here, outside of these boundaries that I've created for it, there's a truck coming and I'm trying to help keep you from the truck, right? And so um, where I think period watching the deconstruction of purity culture kind of as that as your generation has come to an age where we're really able to think through it for ourselves and stuff um, has been interesting because I think it's led to a really healthy dialogue about what marriage is created for, what sex is created for, how sex is good. The fact that there are parts in the woman's body that have the only reason is for pleasure. There is no anatomical reason for it other than it makes you feel good. Like, so and like Satan didn't just magically place it on there with that when God wasn't looking, right? Like God knows about sex. He knows what it is and he's called it good. And so I don't think we have to be scared to talk about it in the church. And I think when we get scared to talk about it in the church is when we make crazy things happen. <laughs> Each girl. It's just that thing where it turns, if it turns into being about you're dressed immodestly or, and yes, you can, if you, if somebody is a believer and they're professing Christ and they are showing fruits of the spirit, maybe there is a conversation to be had about dressing in a way that doesn't cause a brother to stumble. But when you turn, when you turn God's design for sex into here are the rules, it just really morphs things. And so people either feel dirty and wrong and they can't come back. Or they feel like they've done all the righteous things, and then what if what if it isn't fulfilled? What if it isn't all the things that it's supposed to be? What if it isn't magical and wonderful and life-changing when they get married and it happens? And what if there are kinks that need to be worked out and things like that? Like, it, it, you set it up for this weird promise. Like, just, just call it what it is. Say it what it is in the church. Say it, you know, freaking loud and proud. And... Be mindful of the fact that there are, pe- there are wounded people on either side that really need help and really need the help of Christ. Preach, girl. <laughs> you always got a good word. Another thing I wanted to talk about, or it just you know goes along with this, is if you've ever heard of Jamie, the very worst missionary, she does an excellent... She's a blogger, and she also, within the last couple of years, put out her first book. Um, and she's just amazing. Her blog is so good, and... Several years ago, she put out two blog posts on sex, and she, in the first one, she talks about, you know, purity culture and just how awful it is. And basically, you know, there's this huge talk and we don't have sex and, you know, we make girls wear purity rings and, you know, we we give guys nothing and we... um tell them not to have sex and you know we shame girls for having it and shame guys for just wanting it and she talks about how you know you know this whole thing is you know don't lose your virginity don't have sex and she addresses the fact that you know we've made you know not losing our virginity the end goal and she's like that is not the point like the end goal is purity and it should be you know, a lifelong thing. Purity should be a lifelong goal that everyone is striving towards. You know, virginity is not, 
you know, the end all be all. Mm-hmm. It's it's purity that we should be striving for. And it's the message we should be teaching around this whole as you know, reason why to wait. And I don't know, for me, it was really refreshing to, you know, read someone's take on, you know, purity culture and really putting, you know, thought into reason as to, you know, why should, why we should wait. And I like, so for me, I try and be really conscious of like church words and things like that, because I mean, just different things mean different things to different people. And so I don't even say purity anymore. I don't like the word. I think it is a good concept, but I don't even like the word. I've just started saying personal holiness. Just hold yourself accountable to some personal holiness. Like, what do you and the spirit need to work on? But like, when you say purity, there's so much baggage attached to it now of what it is. I mean, you say purity, and I think the first things that come to mind, right, are don't have sex. And it's like, well, I think there's more than that. And I think that like, you know, the other thing is, is in the secular world, We often hear people say things like, God knows that my heart is pure. Mm. No, we don't, (laughs) y'all. Um, you know, and, and so, um, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter which way you say it. There's this misperception on what it is. And like, here's what's true is you're not pure and you're not going to be pure in your own right. And you only get pure by knowing, loving Christ and being washed in his blood. And then you're white as snow. And, and that is your only opportunity to be pure. Your heart is sinful. Your heart is deceitful above all else who can know it, right? Or, uh, I mean, there are Bible verses upon Bible verses talking about how the fact that your heart, your your feelings, your emotions lie to you. Your heart is inherently sinful. Your, your bent in life is always going to be towards being an enemy of God until the Holy Spirit is there to correct that bent. And I just think if you put this emphasis on purity, it sounds like you're trying to do something in your own power. Like, let's talk about personal holiness. Let's talk about how the Holy Spirit is going to empower you towards holiness and looking more like Christ instead of talking about how you can be pure, you know? I don't know if that makes sense. No, it's good. All right. What do you think about porn? <laughs> Not a fan. <laughs> Not a fan. Mm, yeah, I just, I think it is so harmful and damaging. And I think to get to the reason why, you know, you come to this c- conclusion on, you know, why porn is harmful and why you're against it, you have to really have a good understanding of, you know, marriage, what mm. marriage is. And so, you know, we see in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve and he sees Adam who, you know, is alone and he says, this is not good. And he, he gives him um, his wife, Eve, and, you know, he says that this is good, you know, marriage. And I think that we see pretty clearly in the Bible that marriage is between um, a man and a woman mm. and uh, that sex was created for marriage. Mm. and if that's what marriage is and if, if sex is for that and if sex is to take place within a covenant marriage, how can we add in another component, pornography, and call that good? God didn't do that. He created Adam and Eve and he called that good. He didn't say, oh, here's Adam and Eve and porn. This is good. And maybe that's a little bit extensive because, like, of course, it wouldn't happen that way. Like, this is the Old Testament. You know, they don't have, like, freaking access to that or i don't know man porn is old as long as like as as old as we can find ancient artifacts people are drawing pornographic images i mean sex is something that's been very interesting for people for a very long time yeah i think sinful heart has been a sinful heart since the beginning of time you know yeah good point but yeah i just i just think that you know i mean 
it's not why would you want to add to that you mm. know, why would you want to and 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 you know sex is a very you know vulnerable thing and it's something that i think is you know if you're getting to know your spouse you know in the covenant of marriage and you're not having premarital sex i mean it's something that can you know maybe not be super easy and mm. it takes time to like get to know your partner and all of that good stuff and you know i've hear, heard so many people you know oh well it'll spice up our marriage and you know all this stuff mm. i'm like god gave you brains like be freaking creative why would you want to add something to the mix? I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's funny because I grew up thinking pe- men watch porn. I mean, I don't think I had any thoughts about women watching porn, which I know is a real thing. But I grew up thinking men watch porn. All men watch porn. And I I, I said and maybe even distinctly made a MySpace post one time about how if if you're a girl who asks your boyfriend or husband not to watch porn, you are essentially an insecure girl asking your boyfriend or husband to lie to you. Like, I just really believed that. Like, I thought men don't stop watching porn. And I mean, I just really thought it was true that in much in the same way that I didn't realize that people were abstinent, I much, I just didn't know that there were men who didn't watch porn. My whole life, it was just a really prominent thing. Not, and not in a crazy way within my immediate family. It wasn't. You know, that wasn't discussed openly or anything. I knew my brothers watched porn, but that was not until my late teenage years. But it was assumed. I just assumed they did because everyone did. It was ubiquitous in public school. It was ubiquitous. I mean, I remember the first time I heard a boy talk about masturbation was like second grade in the after after school care. Like, this was just a thing. And it was everywhere. We found, my cousin and I found playgirl magazines or whatever in my uncle's playboy magazines in my uncle's bathroom one time like it was just and we didn't look through it or anything like that we just saw them and we're like what but it was just everywhere all of the time and so you know when i did start to understand god's design for marriage and god's design for sex and kind of slowly came around to the idea that like i mean not only is porn watching two people probably not married commit an act made for married people and so you're participating in a sex act that is sinful and then you're on your half there's sin in that there's less involved in that and whatnot also like there's just this huge exploitative culture in the porn industry that's dark like and no little girl lays in bed at at six years old and thinks i'm gonna be a porn star when i grow up that is that comes from damage and trauma and being sinned against and it's an it's a really ugly thing and i and i understand that some people's perspective is that she has the right to choose and she has and this is empowering for her and and that's another conversation for another day regardless of whether she has the right to choose or not she probably wasn't dreaming of it and so maybe she chose it technically but did she choose it through her what what her life brought her to did she choose it through who sinned against her whatever you know so this is it's exploitative in a whole nother way and not to mention porn is one of the biggest fuels for the sex industry or for the sex trafficking industry like without internet porn the sex trafficking industry would not be as huge as it is child pornography is a problem that a lot of people don't even want to admit exists or admit that it's as big of a problem as it actually is because there's no accountability with the internet and so there are all of these really crazy dark things that i think that when you're 
scrolling on a web page and clicking a button, you're not thinking about, well, A, you're not thinking about all the dark stuff. You're not thinking about the child pornography because maybe that's not what you're interested in. And you're not thinking about this woman when she was six years old, hopes and dreams, because that's not what you're interested in. You're interested in a quick three minute bing, bang, boom, we're out of here. I feel better about my life. I feel less stressed. I feel whatever. And you are then using an image bearer of a holy God as a commodity to make yourself feel better. That's gross. Like it is nasty. It is gross to look at another human being and think this is a means for me to release pent up stress or uh, sexual energy or or whatever or me for or for means for me to not have to try too hard with my wife tonight because she's a lot of freaking work and this lady that I'm clicking on right here no work for me at all you know like it's just an interesting it's not interesting it's gross and i think evil to to look at this woman not once think of her as a human being not once think of her as as a woman who's probably been sinned against never once think of her as what does she want to be right the same it's the same thing as we were talking about that tim killer said like this is this is the most abrasive way to see that you are taking something from her without giving any cares about who she is a person, what she cares about as a human being. And that, I mean, same for the male sex workers also. I'm not only saying for women, but just this idea that it is okay with you to use another human being so that you can feel some kind of way. Like, I don't understand people who write this off as not, well, I'm not hurting anyone. Well, you're fueling a sex trafficking industry. You are fueling an industry that allows this woman who has been sinned against, you know, there are women, maybe not all of them, but there are women who have been sinned against their whole lives that wind up in this industry, which is heavily dominated by drug use so that women can get through their lives. And it's just all, it's just all of the sin and evil and awful that you then think oh i'm just clicking a button who am i hurting well these are human beings behind this computer screen in the same way that what you type on facebook you're accountable for what you click on on Pornhub, you're also accountable for just because nobody sees that just because you're not publicly posting it doesn't mean that you're not accountable to a holy god for what you are clicking on and and it's and it's evil to look at a human being and not think of them as a human being whether that human being is unborn in the womb whether that human being is elderly and expensive to care for or whether that human being is naked on your screen turning you on it is evil to look at that person and not think of them as a human being period the end agreed (laughs) agreed and so but there's hope for the person who watches porn just because you commit evil acts does not mean that you're beyond hope, that you're beyond redemption. I know that there are these lies that get told to you that, well, you can't get aroused without it, or you can't get through your day without it, or you can't have good sex with your partner without it. And just the the truth is, is that those are lies. That's bondage. That's not truth. And why do you want to be beholden to anything? Like, why do you want something in your life that you can't get through your day without? Like, I hope that anything in my life, I could just open my hands around and be like, okay, I could get through my day without this. My day, if I get, if I go through one day without X, Y, or Z, I, I'll, I'll flippity flap and survive. But there are people who just don't feel like they can even get through the day without porn. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. And just the truth is, is that, man, like, God would have better for you. Jesus would 
would say that he can rescue and redeem you from that and and that he's the chain breaker like why would you wouldn't why would you willingly stay into bondage to something that you don't have to be in bondage to amen amen sister and i think it's another thing to it's important to point out too like this is not just harmful for the married person but you know i can see a lot of people mm. being like well you know i'm unmarried i'm single yeah. i'm not you know i'm not cheating, cheating on, on anyone mm. i'm not cheating on a spouse or you know boyfriend girlfriend you know i uh, this is just i'm single so it's not harming anyone and it's okay because you know it's not affecting my partner and you know it's just for me but the truth is i mean if you are a christ follower yes it is harming you mm. you're still you know fueling you know the sex trafficking industry and you are it's not porn is not whatever is good whatever is holy whatever mm. is pure it's just it's not and uh just because you're not married doesn't mean you say you know to hell with it you know it's you know and if sex is created for marriage i mean that is in all aspects you're still engaging in you know something that is causing you to you know, lust mm, and to good. chase after something that is, you know, not fulfilling, just like... And not yours. It's not yours. You you think you're because you're not having sex with an actual person, it makes it okay? Yeah. No, you're engaging in something that is, it's, it's, it's outside of, you know, what God created, what he intended. And so just because, you know, you're not married and you know you feel like you're not cheating doesn't make it okay it's yeah it's unhealthy and it's not it's not okay and i think there's this danger of making this the unspeakable sin in church right like oh we just don't talk about the fact that so and so watches porn and it's like this should be something that you can talk about the same way that you can talk about how how you yelled at your husband last night or how you know you mm. should be able i mean in the church there shouldn't be unspeakable sins and i think there is this um level of shame around um, certain sexual sins that people feel like they can't just say them out loud in the church. And it's like, Hey man, there's no hope of freedom from bondage. If you can't just like say out loud, this is the thing that happens in my life, or this is the thing that I'm struggling with, or this is the thing that I want to kill, but I'm not seeing hope and I'm not seeing light. And you should be able to say to the trusted people in your community, Hey, this is something that is real. Or maybe, Hey, this is something that I am not struggling with. I don't feel like it's wrong. I am a little concerned that the Holy Spirit isn't convicting me about this. Has he turned me over to my sin? Like these are things that you should be able to have conversations about. And I think that ties back a little bit to the purity culture where if we've made it the sex is dirty, bad, gross, you and the ultimate thing that you do not do, then how are you going to bring up these sins that you have? How are you going to speak out loud these things that are true about your life? And then how are you going to get help and counsel for them you know i i can't imagine um living in this place where i'm 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 maybe even subconsciously feeling shame like it's not something i'm even willing to acknowledge in real life and then i can't say it out loud to another human being right like we need to create a space and i mean that's not every space right like it's probably not in mixed groups it's probably not in uh, mixed age you know you're not doing it with youth around you're not but there needs to be real honest conversation with a trusted group of um, friends or mentors where you can say, this is a sin in my life. And that should be true for any sin. There shouldn't be sin that you can't talk about out loud. And it's a weird thing that church has done, I think. One of the things I 
struggle with is is just having these like healthy conversations with people because I just it's so prominent in our culture but also just you know cultural Christianity and a lot of you know I have Christian friends who I just love dearly and I respect them and I respect their opinions on a lot of things and it but it's got brought up in conversation of like oh like porn is okay you know you know he's not cheating on me or Mm. you know I've heard different people say like, oh, it spices up our marriage or, you know, I, I would enjoy, you know, you know, watching my husband, you know, get pleasure from something. I mean, just, I've heard just different things like that from different people. And it's like, oh man, that is just one, it's heartbreaking. And then two, just really caused me to think like, okay, how do I have, you know, good conversations Mm -hmm. and encourage them? you know, and bring them to that point of like, no, this isn't the best thing. And well, and maybe all of that's true, right? Maybe it does spice up your marriage. Maybe it does turn you on. Maybe, but that doesn't mean it's right and good. Like, because you're still not considering the person on the other side of the screen because you're still commodifying human beings. Right. And so maybe all of that stuff is true about your marriage or whatever. And I'm not saying that there are no consequences to that on your side, but if we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves, then we should be caring way more about the person on the other side of the screen than we care about our own desires, our own hearts. I mean, if we're going to love someone preferentially, we should look at that person, whether or not we know them on the other side of the screen that we are watching naked and think it's a human being and God does not look kindly on me using her for my pleasure and satisfaction or my husband's pleasure and satisfaction. God doesn't look kindly on me using his creation, his image bearers for my pleasure. He, I, and so it, who cares what it does for you in your marriage? Find other ways to do things for you in your marriage. And, and if you are, if your marriage and your sex life is broken, there, there is hope for that. There are means to fix that. But if you do it outside of what God has asked you for, like, I, you're not even, I can't, I can't imagine that you are thinking of that other person as a human being and still watching porn, right? Like, that's a turn off to look at that person and think about her life and her hopes and her dreams and what's going on in front of a camera and still being turned on by it, right? Yeah. No, I agree with all of that. I just worry. My concern is I, I just feel like people would say, I feel like the majority of people would say, like, Oh, like they're subjecting themselves to that. They're choosing to do that. They're Oh, well, then we should just let heroin addicts do heroin and we should just let the mentally ill harm themselves and we should just let we should if it, uh, if a mother chooses to abort an unborn baby, we should just let her abort that unborn baby because she's choosing it and she's doing it and right? Uh, just because someone is choosing to do something for themselves doesn't mean that we should willingly participate in it. If there are things that God has called not good, if there are things God says, um, it is unloving to, to, to participate in this act that harms somebody else, um, then we don't get to participate in that. Then we need to stand up and say, this is not something that is okay. This is not something that is good for you. And in, in my attempt to love you well, I'm not going to sign off on this. I'm, if, I can't love you well and also say this is good for your life. I'm, I can't love you well and say that you attempting suicide over and over again is good for your life. I want to try and get you help, right? I can't love you well and say that 
um, your drug use is good for you. I'm going to attempt to get you help, not because you're sinful and wrong and bad, but because God loves you and he wants what's best for you. And that's not, that's not the most hopeful thing for your life. And it's the same for the sex worker. Just because she chose it or he chose it doesn't mean that it's good for them or it's loving to actively participate and support it, right? No, right. Y'all heard it here. Porn is bad. <laughs> Don't do porn. <laughs> Don't do porn. <laughs> all right, Recos? Recos. Go you. Okay, so I think you all have heard me share before that I'm a huge reader. I love reading. And also, you've heard uh, me share my love for Instagram. So I'm going to recommend that you follow Emma Roberts. She is the niece to Julia Roberts, and oh. she's an actress herself. But her and her best friend, I believe her name is Kira, they both love reading. And over the years, they just have always, you know, back and forth shared books with each other and recommended them to each other. And they just sort of decided like, hey, like, let's start an Instagram and we'll just recommend all our favorite, you know, reads to people and we'll have like a book of the month. They're ac- she's actually the one that like inspired me to do a bookstagram. But anyways, I that's was a story. Yeah. So I just, I love Emma Roberts. She's just, she's beautiful and she's talented and she's a great actress Um, and she has good taste in books. So if you like reading like me and um, you're looking for good book recommendations and you just like following aesthetically pleasing Instagram feeds, I'm going to say I recommend that you follow her. She's great and uh, her friend is just cute too and, you know, they just try to engage people in conversations over literature and it's just, it's so much fun. I love her. I love that. I'm going to recommend something that's just practical. It's not like super fun or anything, but Fight the New Drug is an organization that is a secular organization. It's not a Christian organization that is just out there trying to educate people about pornography and the sex trafficking industry and the and what porn does to relationships it's like it's very well rounded and so there it's very science based it's got a lot of statistics um it's got a lot of like former sex workers what is the secular word called testimonies testimonies i guess right mm-hmm. um but it's got their stories it tells it tells the stories of these former porn stars who have um, not necessarily come to Christ, but just come out of the sex industry and what the sex industry has done to them. And it talks about statistics like porn induced erectile dysfunction and things like that. And it's just been, it's really educational and it's been really helpful, um, as a means of learning how to engage in this really hypersexual world about really what is dangerous about porn. I mean, there, there, I can't remember. There's like a country or a state or something that's trying to call porn an epidemic to make it a medical crisis because mm-hmm. it has become such an, it's, it's so rampant. And so, yeah, I just want to recommend that you guys go follow. I know Fight the New Drug at least has a Facebook, but I'm pretty sure they have an Instagram too. And they sell like shirts. Like if you've ever seen the Porn Kills Love shirt, that's theirs. And they're just, I think they're a really good organization. So good. And they have a lot of good testimonies too from people who have like, been porn addicts or are oh yeah testimonies on people who are who've stopped watching porn yeah exactly Mm -hmm. so good it's really good. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We're really grateful that you're you're hanging out with us, that you're sticking with us through all the learning curves. Yes, thank you so much for follow for 
listening to us. And, you know, if you're listening to us and you're enjoying it, we're just really trying to get out there and um, share our thoughts and just we're having so much fun with this. Yes. And we would just really appreciate it if you um, share us with your friends, you know, share us on your social media, Facebook, Instagram. We would just be so grateful if you like and subscribe and all that good stuff. Yes, please. All right. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.